Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Today's message comes from our series, 2 Corinthians, Strength and Weakness. Well, it's time to open up the Word of God, and for that, I would normally give you Pastor Nick, but he's not here. He is out of town on uh, some incredible business, so I will give you me. Um, So (laughs) that's all I got for you. Uh, Normally, you uh, have to uh, put up with me about five minutes. Now you're going to have to put up with me for a little longer. I do apologize. But hey, that's that's how we roll here at Whitefields. I had an interview one time where uh, I knew I was going to nail this interview. I tell you, I was perfect for the job. I crafted this amazing resume and uh, turned it in, and they asked me to come for the interview, as I knew they would. And uh, the, the district manager was looking over my resume, and uh, you could tell his eyes lit up and his you know, eyebrows raised, and I was like, oh, he's impressed, he's impressed. And I sat across the desk from him with the look on my face like, I know, I know, every time he looked at something on the resume, and I was just you know, in cloud nine because I knew I had this nailed. Then he starts with the interview questions and I was nailing those questions left and right. I could tell I was impressing him. You know, I don't like to toot my own horn, but in that interview, I was like Dizzy Gillespie. Man, I was bebopping and scatting all over the place and it was going awesome. So at the end of the interview, he, you know, smiles and gets up and shakes my hand. He's walking me to the door and I'm like, here it is. He's going to offer me the job right away. Even though he has like a hundred more people, he's going to offer me this job. And he smiles at me, shakes my hand and goes, hey, you know, on your resume. And I go, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah. And he goes, you spelled your name wrong. (laughs) Apparently the hiring people really want to know that you can spell your name right when uh, you're hired for a job. So It uh, didn't go so well. But uh, the point of the story is that in an interview, you ever notice that we always try and maximize our strengths and minimize our weaknesses? That's what we do in a job interview. That's that's kind of what what happens in a job interview. And they always ask, notice they always ask you that question. So what's your greatest weakness? You know, and, and I don't ever understood this, story, this question because we always come up with the dumbest answer for these. You know, what's your, my, greatest, my greatest weakness is that I try too hard at my job. That's my greatest weakness. And you know, they're just rolling their eyes inside. My greatest weakness is that I just, I work too hard and I'm committed to my place of employment. That's my greatest weakness. And then, you know, I, I, and I never understood why they asked that question because The only thing that they're learning from that question is how good are we at bending the truth and avoiding the actual question altogether? That's the only thing that that, that they learn from that question. But, you know, it's part of the question. They want to understand us. They They want us to highlight our weakness so they can understand us better, but we want to minimize our weakness in an interview. And our society tells us to minimize our weaknesses and maximize our strengths all over the place. It's almost expected of us to minimize our weaknesses. You know, we live in a world that we care way too much what people think of us. And so, you know, when we care too much of what people think of us, then we start to minimize way too much our weakness. And we don't want anyone to know we even have weaknesses. 
You know, you ever ask somebody how they're doing? How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Even though they're dying inside, they're just, oh, I'm doing great. Sure, yeah, that's great. We want other people to believe that we have everything going right. Minimize our weaknesses. But the Bible says that we should do the exact opposite. The Bible says we should minimize our strengths and maximize our weaknesses. It's completely counter to the culture around us. And that's what we're going to be looking at today in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. As we have been heading through the sermon series entitled Strength and Weakness, we come to this passage, and the title of today's message is Boasting in Weakness. And let's take a look at our summary statement this morning. And our summary statement not only sums up what this passage is about, but it actually helps us as we move through the study this morning. So let's take a look. It says, if we must boast, we will boast in the things that show our weakness. For it is in our weakness that Jesus may increase in our lives. So let's take a look at the first section there. If we must boast. And we start in... 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16, Paul is talking to the Corinthians and he says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. So Paul doesn't want to be thought of as a fool. I mean, nobody really wants to be thought of as a fool. Unless you are a fool, then you don't care. But nobody wants to be thought of a fool. And so Paul here is saying, don't think of me a fool because I'm about to do something that seems foolish. And so what is he about to do that seems foolish? Well, he's about to boast. And he's willing to boast, he's willing to look foolish, so that the Corinthians who are being led astray by these super apostles, you know, he calls them, Paul calls them super apostles in a kind of a sarcastic way, because these individuals think that they are better than the apostles. And so he calls them super apostles. And so these super apostles are wanting to take control of the Corinthian church and what makes that so bad is that they're leading the Corinthian church the wrong way. They're preaching a Jesus that Paul is not preaching. And they're preaching as well a false gospel. And so Paul takes exception to this, and he is willing to boast. He's willing to look foolish to stop this from happening. And so that's where we see uh, Paul talking about right now. In verse 17, he says, what I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say, not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. So Paul's not talking about boasting in general. He's talking about boasting according to the flesh. Boasting in his own achievements, his own prestige, his own power. And that's the kind of boasting that does not please the Lord. Paul has actually quoted uh, Psalm 34 in both of his letters to the Corinthians. In the second Corinthians, the book that we're studying, he actually uh, quoted this in the last chapter. He said, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So boasting itself isn't a sin. It's what you're boasting in that's a sin. If you're boasting in the Lord, well, that's great. If you're boasting in yourself, well, that's not so great. Don't do that. So it's not boasting that's the problem. It's foolish that he says it's, it's foolish because it, it shows that we're trying to build up our own self-worth. We're trying to build up our identity in our own achievements 
rather than what God has done in our life. And that is the wrong direction. It's ultimately a losing proposition because either you end up being puffed up with yourself or you end up being crushed by failure. Either way, it's a losing proposition. And being puffed up with pride, not only is it really annoying when you come across those people, but when you're puffed up with pride, it can be very catastrophic to your soul because remember, pride is the very thing that ended up having Satan tossed out of heaven for. And if we don't watch out, it's going to be the very thing that's our downfall as well. So Paul's basically saying, hey, since everyone else is boasting about themselves, you know what, I might as well join in. And you, you've been listening to these fools, these false apostles. So, hey, what's one more fool? Listen to me. Now, if you can detect a little sarcasm there, you're absolutely right, because sar sarcasm is rampant in this passage. And I was talking about this passage with my son earlier this week, and he asked a great question. He goes, well, Dad, isn't sarcasm a sin? And I was like, oh, that's a really good question. So let's take a look at sarcasm. Sarcasm is the use of words that mean the opposite of what you really mean to say. In fact, Jesus uses sarcasm on multiple occasions to make a point. So sarcasm itself isn't a sin. It's the way you use it that could be a sin. Because we all know that sarcasm can be very biting and hurtful if used that way. That's a sin. Sarcasm can be kind of lighthearted and fun sometimes. That's not a sin. Or sarcasm in this way, as Paul uses it, sarcasm, he's using sarcasm as satire to make a point. That's not a sin. So he's using sarcasm to make a point, and the point is how ridiculous the Corinthians are, are being. They're being absolutely ridiculous in making these choices uh, by following these individuals. And you can see that in verse 19, he says, for you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourself. Now that may not seem sarcastic at first, but let's uh, dig into this. So he's referencing verse 16 when he says, accept me as a fool. Well, why? Well, here it is. For you gladly bear with fools. You Corinthians have been putting up with these super apostles, these fools, so now you can put up with me as I act like a fool. And then he adds, being so wise yourself, this is particularly sarcastic because Paul has pointed out plenty of times that the Corinthian church is not wise. They keep making bad choices. And this is, there's one particularly interesting statement that he makes in 1 Corinthians. He says, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? So multiple occasions he's pointed out that the Corinthian church thinks they're wise and they are not wise. And so it's particularly sarcastic here when he says, being so wise yourself here, um, and he's trying to make a point to them. And not only are you not wise, he's saying, but he says in verse 20 there, the reason why they're not wise, for you bear it if somebody makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. They put up with these super apostles who are domineering them with their leadership style, first of all. They're taking advantage of the church. They're lifting themselves up in a prideful way above 
the church of Corinth, and they're absolutely humiliating the Corinthians. And so at the end, he says, to my shame, I must say, we are too weak for that. So we remember earlier in the letter, uh, Paul talks about that his opponents have been calling him weak. Because remember, when Paul writes, he writes boldly. But then when he shows up, he's this little guy, and he talks quiet, and he doesn't really say much. And they go, well, look, he's weak. He's bold in his letters. He's weak when he shows up. And so Paul is sarcastically saying, you know, we would dominate you. We would take advantage of you. We would humiliate you. But we, alas, are too weak to do that. And so, you know, you can just hear the sarcasm just coming out of Paul. He must have used a trowel to lather that, just slather that on. There's so much sarcasm here. But he's trying to make a point to them on how ridiculous this is. But he sets aside his sarcasm for a moment, and he starts defending his position. Starting at the last half of uh, verse 21, he says, But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of. Are they Hebrew? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am better. I am a better one. I am talking like a madman here. So you can see that these super apostles are trying to make their Jewishness a highlight there as they say they're apostles. They're saying, look at, I'm an apostle because I'm so Jewish. And so Paul, you know, it really doesn't work on him because Paul is Jewish. Paul is completely through and through Jewish. So it doesn't really work on him. But, but this isn't the last time Paul's going to have to defend his credentials. He actually does it again in Philippians 3. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. So Paul knows that being Jewish has nothing to do with his apostleship. He knows that being Jewish has nothing to do, whether he's a servant of Christ or not, but it's a big deal, and it's being pushed as a big deal to, uh, by these super apostles to the Corinthian church. So Paul's going to play along. He's going to say, yeah, you want to play that way? Fine. I'm Jewish too, through and through. And not only does he play along, but he doesn't play along. He has to add a little remark, though. Notice that he said in verse 21, I am speaking as a fool, as if to say, you know, I may play along with this foolishness, but let me point out that this is foolishness, that what we're doing here. He wants to make that known. And are they better servants of Christ than Paul? Well, Paul already pointed out back in verse 13 and 14 that these individuals, these false apostles, are not servants of Jesus at all. They're quite the opposite. So let's take a look at the second part of the verse here. If, if we must boast, we will boast in the things that show our weakness. So here we start to see Paul start to boast. And so what does he boast in? It says... With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a day and a night I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger 
from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger from in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, Whew. in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Man, that's a list. It might have been easier for Paul just to, you know, list what he wasn't in danger from. And, you know, this is an incredible list. And we as Christians look at this list and we think, look at all the incredible things that Paul went through for the sake of the gospel. And it's true. But the problem is that Paul's audience would not look at this list the same way we would in today's day and age because they have a different culture. They would look at this list and they would read it and they would think, wow, Paul is a very weak and shameful person. Look at all the shame that he has on. Look at, he's just kind of a failure. Because in their day and age, they believed that if God was with you, nothing would go wrong. If God wasn't with you, your life would be a train wreck. And hit, example, Paul. So they would believe, well, obviously God's not with Paul. Look at this list. So if this is true, if this list just highlights the weakness of Paul in their eyes, well, why on earth would he make this list to these people? Well, that's the question that we're going to answer today. But first, we'll get to that in a bit. But first, let's think about the life of Jesus for a moment. What did Jesus go through? He suffered at the hands of the people he was trying to minister to. He was humiliated. He was beaten. He was ultimately thrust upon a cross and murdered in a very shameful way, all because he loved the individuals he was trying to minister to. He wanted salvation for us. This catalog of suffering that Paul has given us here, we see a man who was rejected by the people he was ministering to, we see a man who was humiliated time and time again, beaten repeatedly, all because he wanted salvation for the people he was ministering to. We see a picture of Christ in the life of Paul. Paul's life is a portrait of Jesus in his life. And that's incredible. That's how we should be aiming to be. So this list isn't, isn't even a complete list, Paul says. If you skip down to verse 29, it says, and apart from other things, so... This list isn't a complete list. It's just for illustrative purposes. There's a whole lot of other stuff that happened to Paul that he hasn't even put on this list. He's just making this list to make a point. Look at the weakness in Paul. That's what the point is. And at the end of the list, though, interestingly, he moves on from physical pain to emotional pain, anxiety. And this isn't the kind of anxiety towards himself and look at my circumstances and oh, it's horrible, look at me. The kind of anxiety that uh, would be internal, would be looking at me, look how horrible my circumstances are, is a type of anxiety that Jesus preached against actually. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, do not be anxious about your life. And then he expounds upon that. But rather, Paul has a concern, it's a healthy concern for others for people in the church, for their well-being. And that's a concern that Jesus had quite often. He would quite often have a concern for others. And that's how we should be as well. 
The fact that this is located at the end of the list means this anxiety is the culmination of everything. This is the biggest thing to Paul. The biggest thing is the anxiety has for others. All other aspects of the list are nothing compared to the suffering he feels for the other churches and the Corinthians that are under his care. And to a pastor, their church brings great joy. But also to a pastor, the church could bring a lot of anxiety, and you can see that with Paul. I mean, not this church. I mean, this, this church would not bring great anxiety. Great joy. But other churches could possibly bring anxiety. All right, so for, verse 29, he continues. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? All right, uh, so uh, here Paul's compassionate identification with the weak and with those who are made to fall, as uh, Paul puts it. You know, you kind of hear Jesus relating to these people as well, just like Paul does. Paul relates to the weak. He relates to the oppressed, those in the church that are made to stumble, as Paul puts it, by these false apostles. And that's a trait that Jesus has. The false apostles exploit God's people for their own gain. And Paul, it says here, he's indignant at the very thought of God's people being exploited. Jesus once taught, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Like Jesus, Paul lovingly identifies with the weak and experiences anxiety for those who are God's children and are taken advantage of. This is a theme throughout the Bible, actually. You can see it highlighted in books like the Psalms. You can see it highlighted in the Minor Prophets. You can see it highlighted massively in the Gospels as well because it's a, a truth that Jesus taught over and over again that God lovingly identifies with the weak, lovingly identifies with the hurting. And that's exactly how we should be. It should be a trait of Christianity as well, of all Christians. We should be exactly the same. Let's look at the third and last part of our sentence. If we must boast, we will boast in the things that show our weakness. For it is in our weakness that Jesus may increase in our lives. Let's look at verse 30. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. And God knows Paul isn't lying. If Paul's going to boast, he's not going to boast in himself. He's going to boast in his weakness. He's going to boast the, the opposite way that these false apostles are going to be boasting. They're going to be boasting about themselves, about their awesomeness. Paul's going to be boasting in his weakness. So let's go back to the question that we asked earlier. If this list only makes Paul look weak and foolish, why is he boasting in his weakness when easily he could boast in his achievements and he could far outpace these false apostles? But he doesn't. He boasts in his weakness. The answer is, so that in his weakness, Jesus may increase in his life. Paul is boasting in his weakness so that Jesus may be magnified in his life. 
John the Baptist proclaimed once upon seeing Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. In order to be filled with Jesus, we must make room. We must become less so that he may become more and increase in our lives. I know a lot of you, when you came in this morning, you stopped by, grabbed some coffee. When you just woke up, you know, you roll out of bed, hit the coffee, and down it goes. You know, nobody talks to you before you drink your coffee. So I'll use a illustration about coffee. People can relate to that. So think of your life as the coffee mug, right? Jesus wants to fill your life overflowing. Jesus is the coffee, the good stuff. He wants to fill your cup overflowing. That's how Jesus wants. He wants an empty coffee mug, empty of yourself, full. But so often we fill our coffee mugs with cream and sugar and just a little bit of coffee on the peak. And then we're like, oh, the coffee's great, isn't it, honey? You know, and it, that's not, you can't even taste the coffee. But that's how we are. We, we fill our cup. We fill our lives with everything but Jesus. We fill our lives with us, me, me, me. And then when Jesus comes and goes, there's no room for me because we filled it with me. Jesus wants to be the one who fills our lives. There's no room for God to show up in a mighty way and work in our lives when we don't make room for him. So Paul is boasting in his weakness to highlight what Jesus has done in his life. He can go through all these afflictions and hardships to further the gospel only because Jesus is alive and working in his life. That's the only way. Truthfully, without Christ in our life, our whole life is weakness. There is no strength at all in our lives. The only way we are strong is through Christ. Christ working in us and working through us, that's what makes us strong. So interestingly, Paul provides us a great illustration of this in verse 32 and 33. He says, at Damascus, the governor under King Aretas, guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. So if you remember before Paul's conversion, Paul was arriving to Damascus. He was Spit and vinegar, or what is that saying called? You know, he was just upset and mad and angry, and he wanted uh, to capture all the Lord's disciples, anybody who was preaching or teaching that Jesus was the Messiah and the Lord. He was going to capture them, and he had in his hand authority to bind them and bring them back to Jerusalem. And so here we see that shortly after his conversion, he is the one who is hunted for teaching and believing that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and is the Lord. Completely the opposite. When he arrives, he is the persecutor. When he leaves, he's fleeing and he is being persecuted. And it's interesting, Paul's giving this uh, example because Paul wants us to know that at the very beginning of his ministry... There was weakness that Paul had to rely 100% on Christ at the very beginning of his ministry and all the way through his ministry. It hasn't changed at all. He still has to rely on Christ for everything. It's never changed. 
when we go through hardships, we feel like we're weak, don't we? We feel like we, we're helpless, we can't, we can't do anything, that the world is caving in on us, it's crushing us. And interestingly enough, it's during those times when we are the weakest, that's when God shows up the biggest. When we have emptied ourselves and we know we are weak, God shows up and strengthens us through his strength. I know that some of us in this room are going through some very difficult times. So it's in these times that expose our true weakness. We're so frail, so helpless in reality. But it's during these very moments when we're emptied of ourselves that God fills us up with this perfect power and shows his mighty glory to us in incredible ways. There are so many examples of this throughout the Bible as well, where God takes a weak vessel and does mighty things with it. I mean, you can take a look at Moses in Egypt. Great example. You can take a look at, you know, the, the little shepherd boy named David who became the greatest king Israel has ever seen and described as a man of God's own heart. You can take a look at Gideon. Gideon's story, he started off hiding in a hole. And then at the end, he was the general and he defeated, along obviously with God, the armies of the Midianites. And you can never forget the disciples of Jesus, most of whom were just simple laborers. And they ended up changing the entire world for Christ. God takes weak vessels and he does his work through them. So never accept the idea that because you are weak, Jesus can't use you. Jesus can use you precisely because you are weak. That's the whole reason. Jesus can use you precisely because you are weak. I love in the story of Numbers chapter 13 to 14, where Israel arrives at the promised land and they send 12 spies up into the land to spy out the land and they come back and they tell the story, they give the report to all the people. Everybody's terrified because the report says that there are cities up there with massive walls, there's a powerful army and there's giants, for goodness sakes. Run, but everybody's fearful but Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb are sitting there going, we can do this, we can do this, no problem. And so, so what was in Joshua and Caleb that gave them so much bravery? It's because they knew that the Lord was with them. They knew that in their weakness, it, it didn't matter. They knew that in their weakness, the Lord would show up in a mighty, mighty way. You know, weakness is basically the absence of strength. So you... If you are strong, you have strength. If you are weak, you don't have strength. You have an absence. You have a space left over. And our world tells us that we need to cover up this emptiness. We need to pretend that there isn't a hole here. We need to pretend that everything is just fine. We need to bluff our way through life and pretend that we are strong. Pretend that we have all of our ducks in a row because if we do, people will see that our life is put together and we are a great and respected person. We often do this in Christianity. I, I don't have any issues. I, you know, I'm wonderful. 
I don't sin. You know, that we, we often have this idea that if we pretend like everything is wonderful and we don't have a weakness, then people will respect us and look up to us. But that's wrong, because we all have weakness. We all are full of weakness. And without Christ, we all are just weakness. And the Bible tells us, though, that we need to accept the fact that we are weak. And that's what we need to do. We need to accept that we're weak. Accept that we don't have the strength needed to overcome the struggles of our life. Accept the fact that we don't have the strength to defeat the enemy on our own. Accept the fact that we don't have the strength to save ourselves. The only thing that can fill the empty space left by our weakness is Jesus Christ. That's it. We can't fill it ourselves. We can't cover it up. We can try, but we'll fail. We must never forget that Jesus, the creator of all things, had all the power in the universe, decided to come down to earth and be weak. He became a baby. He was cold. He was hungry. He was rejected by the very people he came down to set free. And he was betrayed by his friends. He was humiliated. He was beaten. And he was crucified so that we who are weak might become strong through him and his strength that is so mighty that we might have his strength in our weakness. So if we must boast, we will boast in the things that show our weakness, for it is in our weakness that Jesus may increase in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much that uh, in our weakness, you show up so mightily that you fill that hole left behind by the absence of strength. Lord, we just cannot do this on our own. We cannot overcome the struggles that, uh, that plague us in life, Lord, without you, Lord God. I pray that you would just remind us throughout the week that it is you who are strong. It's, it is not us. It is you who have come into our lives and made us strong with your great and mighty strength. And I pray, Lord, as, as we head out this week, Lord, that we would be lights to those who you bring in contact with us, that we would show them that you are the mighty and loving God who loves us and cares for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.